welcome to a special Legacy Life Reflections episode of the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. A GLT with me, CG, is the podcast series that brings you The Clearing, where all good questions come to be asked and all good stories come to be told. And inspired by Shakespeare's All the World's a Stage, Legacy Life Reflections is where I invite my guests to the clearing to ask, who are you? What's your story? What life's lessons learned along your way would you like to share with us? And whilst I've got you, what's your legacy? And how would you most like to be remembered? So yes, welcome to a special Legacy Life Reflections episode. And we're recording, please. And we're recording. Welcome to another episode of the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. And I'm absolutely delighted to have in my clearing uh, the wonderful Mr. Reg Starkey, who is, he's not a madman, he's an ad man. But he came, he came about as a very experienced ad man back in the day, round about the era as defined by that wonderful Mad Men series that did so, so well. So He's an ad man at heart and core. He's also a, a truly wonderful human being, really empathic, sensitive, gorgeous. I'm very fond of this man, so I'm very excited to talk to you. So, Mr. Reg Starkey, good morning. Thank you, Chris. You've embarrassed me already. <laughs> and you said, <laughs> when we just before we started recording, you said, over to you, Mr. DeMille. Is that, is that um, a, a compliment to my new glasses, maybe? Well, it wasn't. It was just a reference to that old joke about the three cameramen, you know, the DeMille joke. Ready when you are, Mr. DeMille. And oh, if you, don't, if you don't know it, I'll tell it to you another time because it's sort of... Oh, is it too, too unsavoury for, for what we're No, it's not unsavoury. It's not unsavoury. It's just, it's, 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 uh, um, Cecil B. DeMille is doing this, this amazing scene with a cast of thousands and uh, he's got three cameras on it, right? And uh, he, he shouts action and everything happens. And... Uh, then he calls the first cameraman and he said, do you get it? And he said, I'm really sorry, Mr. DeMille. There was a, there, there was a hair in the camera, you know, and uh, then we couldn't do it. Uh, we couldn't do it. And then he sends the next one, says, what happened? And the, the next one says, I'm really sorry. We, we had a problem. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't get it. And then he talks to the third one and he says, ready when you are, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> sorry. No, please don't apologise. You know what? We couldn't resist going for the joke because you did hookers with... It reminds me of that joke. And of course, everyone would have spent the entire you know, next 45 minutes just thinking, what was that flipping joke? So I'm really glad we managed to pin you down on that. Mm. Now, I Googled you just before we started, uh, because I can, because, you know, there's that thing about, you know, we are what Google says we are. And your second listing is really enigmatic. It says, Reg Starkey, born in the Blitz in London's West End. Reg was plucked from the heart of the working class and thrust into life of an unimaginable privilege and unspoken pain. I thought, cool, blimey, this is going to be an even richer conversation than I thought. So um, do, do you want to tell us where that book came about? Um, well, it's East End rather than West End. So if you, if you look at that quote again you'll find it's east end not west end um i this is the I, lovey in me so it's the lovey in me that's always thinking about the west end <laughs> um yeah absolutely um no I, I was born in i was born in the blitz during an ad raid in 1940 um and uh i was plucked from the east end by a benefactor who was my godfather and i was named after him so he was reginald i'm that's why i got my name reginald um, and he, he was a massive influence on my life. 
uh, including at a point when I was at a very, very, very low point uh, and writing poetry, beat poetry. I was interested in people like Jack Kerouac and Lawrence Ferlinghetti and Carl Sandburg. And um, I was writing my, my version of what they wrote, if you see what I mean, from, from London. And uh, he said, I, I know someone who will publish it for you. What he actually meant was, I know a printer and I will, I will pay for it to be printed. But I, I took it as, a, as being properly published. And uh, that's how it happened. And it was called The Weekend Artist, which is a quote from, um, I think, Jean-Paul Sartre, who said, you know, people who paint at weekends imagine they're artists, but that, that's not what being an artist is. It's not painting at the weekend. By the way, I'm loving your delicious references to all sorts of cultural stuff at the moment. You, you are indeed a reservoir, Mr. Reg Starkey, <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to this. And if I, I, I met you so fantastically in one of the happy places in my life, which is where we go to a place in France called lesseuranglais.com, where I was lucky enough to, uh, with Katie Elliott Armitage, who I'm also going to be interviewing at some point, um, she runs this wonderful uh, premises you're from family related i know uh, because you used to be married to katie's sister didn't you i was i've, I've been very lucky with my in-laws um <laughs> with, uh, katie is one of you know one of um three sisters and a brother um and and i, I married one of them and um that, that they've been so good to me since the marriage ended likewise with my more recent marriage I, my brother-in-law has remained a very very good friend so i've been lucky with in-laws perhaps not quite so lucky with wives. And by the way, there's, there's never a coincidence when people are kind to us. I think, you know, reciprocity is a delicious thing where what you give out, you will get back. And it doesn't surprise me that, that people take care of you. you you've, done, you've done that for me, Reg. You've, you've constantly um, encouraged me and bathed me in optimism about, you know, noticing what I'm about and, and who I'm about. And, and you, you, are, you are a really encouraging man. And I, I consider you a really deep friend because of that. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm a fan as well as a friend. That's the thing. I, I really do think you've got something very special. And so I want it to get, help get it to the, the world. Wonderful. And by the way, thank you again. But this obviously is, this is about bringing you, uh, Reg Starkey. This is about you. We're going to bring you to a place called The Clearing which is going to be something we'll talk about as a construct. And then within the clearing, we've got some lovely storytelling archetypes or metaphors. There's going to be a tree where we shake your tree to see which apples fall out. And these are storytelling apples of an exercise called 54321, where you will have had, before we've spoken, at least five minutes to think about four things that have shaped you, Red Starkey, uh, three things that inspire you, two things that never fail to grab your attention, and then one quirky or unusual fact about you that we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. So we're going to get on to that. Um, but first of all, um, if somebody just comes up to you and says, hello, uh, what do you do? You, you've recently had an 80th birthday, so happy birthday for that. So in, in all of, ha, when you look back and when you think about your now, what do you think Reg does? So what's Reg all about? What do you do? Well, I, I, in answer to that question, I always say I'm a copywriter. Um, and occasionally I say, th and I was almost famous, um, because that's how it felt. Uh, I mean, Cliff Richard had an album called I'm Almost Famous, but that probably was when he was genuinely becoming really famous. But I never became really famous, but I, I, I was quite famous in the ad, ad game. Is that because you're one behind the campaign, nudging it forward, getting it across the line and having, you know, great 
strap lines and things that you do. I absolutely, I absolutely loved advertising. It wasn't my first choice because I didn't have a choice, but um, I absolutely loved it and I really miss it. And that was when I'd mentioned you being an original sort of madman, madmen. Uh, so, so how did you get going in the world of advertising then, even though it wasn't your first choice? Um, well, I, I basically what happened was I was my godfather, who Sir Reginald as he was, um, who was my benefactor, sent me away to private school, um, and um, I he always wanted me and my my parents always wanted me to be get to university, um, and I was quite bright and I had A levels at I know sixteen seventeen. And I tried one college at Oxford, which was where he'd been. And they, 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 um, they told me to, uh, they said, take scholarship level um, exams and come back in two years. And I, I didn't want to do that. Um, so I went off to Paris instead, to the British Institute in Paris. Um, and I came back from there without a diploma. Um, and I didn't know what to do. Um, and, and I got into law. I, my mother sort of said to me, you, you're not going to be the first one to go to university. You can be the first one to be a professional. How about an accountant? And I said, no, thank you. What about a lawyer? I said, well, that'll do. So again, my godfather benefactor got me into a firm of solicitors where I was articled. Um, and it was only after four and a half years of articles and a qualified pass in finals um, that I did a, 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 a psychometric test that said, um, I should, um, I, sh I should actually have been a journalist, but I have a high interest in money, therefore advertising or public relations. So that's that's how that's how I, it happened. That sounds like quite a psychometric there, because that sort of nailed it for you in terms of a future path. I, I think that's a, it's that is actually a very very interesting area because there's some statistic that says fifty percent of people are unhappy in the jobs that they do. I think that's a huge opportunity to, to actually give young people better advice, get them to think about it, but get, give them better advice on what they're going to do with their lives. Yes, the idea of owning your own destiny with that adage, control your own destiny or others will control it for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And the benefactor, by the way, it, it's very romantic. It sounds like he it, it sounds like he literally plucked you from the, the sort of rubble of the blitz. But, but that's what it sounds like. Would that be fair? It was a bit. It was a bit like well, a bit like that. I mean, uh, you know, my I, I was told by my parents that I was a Cockney, and I always took that as a as a as a great compliment. I thought that Cockneys were something to be proud of. Um, Did you say leave I, it out when they first said that to you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, this is the thing. You see, I I, I did talk like that originally, um, but I then years later I worked with an art director who was a Cockney. And uh, he said, where, where did you, where were you born? I said, Barking. He said, we used to go to Barking for our holidays. He said, you're not a Cockney, you're an Essex boy. So I'm, a, I'm an Essex boy. So I was, I was picked out of the, the East End of London and I was dropped into a private school in Salisbury where I didn't talk like they talked. Uh, and I learned to talk like they talked and that's how I talk now. Yeah. Um, but that actually created problems when I went home because I didn't sound like my parents. And so while they loved me, I was sort of, you know, it was, there was a gap between us. Um, and I didn't sound like my eldest brother and sister. Um, so there was a gap between me and them. Uh, and I didn't fit in with the village kids in the village because I was 
little Lord Fauntleroy as far as they were concerned. I mean, it, it was difficult. And then when I went back to school, I wasn't good enough for them either. So, there's you know, because I wasn't a true gent. There's a theme there, if I may, Reg, about sounding like you're, um, you've got quite comfortable in being what's called an outlier. You're never quite there at the core of it, but you're outside looking in like a wily fox observing. I, I have got I have got quite uncomfortable with it. I, I, I had a I had a life coach a long time ago called Sean DeWarren. And I said to Sean, I don't fit in anywhere. And he said, I want you to rewrite the script and say, I fit in everywhere. I love that. Um, so I now feel that I can fit in anywhere and everywhere um, because I, I don't feel like I did feel that I was a traitor to my class, that my class is working class and that to go into advertising was actually to exploit the working class, to exploit the masses by using intelligence and, you know, manipulating them. Yes. Um, and I, I certainly don't belong to the upper class or the middle class, but I feel more comfortable with them now because I, I sort of understand them better and I sort of, I'm more tolerant and I'm, you know, I'm just, anyway. It's been, it, it, it's been a useful shift of changing the words from I don't fit in anywhere to I fit in everywhere. And in coaching terms, that's delicious because it's about the notion of reframing, you know, how to, how to just change the script, as you say. Yeah. And your benefactor, just before I move away from, from them, you know, Reginald, the, the godfather, the benefactor, how did he discover you? Um, he discovered me because my father worked for him. He started, a, he started a charity in the East End of London called the Dockland Settlements. The what settlements, sorry? The Dockland. Yeah. I think he probably invented the word, you know, in the way we talk about Docklands now, but I, he called the Dockland Settlement. Um, and that, that basically what happened, there's a good story behind this, so I hope you don't mind if I tell it. Please he, do. He, he went through the First World War. Uh, he, he, he went to Oxford, to Hartford College, um, and he wanted to be a playwright. The theatre was his great, his great love. And he was, um, he was getting material for something he was writing, and he went to... A, a trial at the Old Bailey where an 18-year-old from the East End of London was being um, prosecuted for the murder of his girlfriend who'd become pregnant by somebody else. Um, and he followed this trial uh, and the, the young man was eventually um, sentenced to death because that was how it was in the old days. And the judge put on a black, you know, black cap on and, and said, you know, you'll be taken from this um, place to you know hang by your neck until you are dead and may God have mercy on your soul and when that was it was very dramatic and when when it was over uh, he was horrified by the lawyers who you know who were so completely unmoved by the fact that some guy had just been sentenced to death that he, first of all he tried to um, he tried to you know launch the appeal to get the guy take you know let off uh, when that failed he decided he would stop being, wanting to be a writer or playwright and go to the East End and see whether he could actually practically do something. And that's what he did. And that's what he got knighted for. Um, and during that time, which we were talking about the 1920s, he, um, my, my father worked for him. Uh, and then he sort of adopted the whole family because he was a bachelor, didn't have a family. So we were already ready made family. So he became a sort of lifelong philanthropist in his own absolutely i mean i i didn't know my grandparents and he was like a grandfather as much as a godfather but he was a very he was actually a very a good a good christian uh, a good writer a lovely man you know tremendous company 
um, and a very generous man. And, he, and he what just, was his full name? I know he's Reg, you said, or Reginald. What was yeah, Sir name? Reginald Kennedy Cox. And uh, he, he, he wrote a few books and he wrote a couple of plays, but he got his knighthood for, um, for, for what he did in the East End of London. And talk about a sort of presence in your, an ever-present presence in your life. How long ago did he die, Reginald? Reg. Um, how long ago did he die? Um, in the last century. I, I honestly can't remember how long ago, but I mean, I would say he wasn't at my second wedding. So he wasn't, <laughs> I don't know if he was at my first wedding. So I don't know, in, in the 1960s, probably he died. I, I honestly can't remember. Sure. But, but, he's, um, but he's still he, very he, present. He, he, had, he had a service in Salisbury Cathedral. When he died, so he was, you know, he was a, he, he was a big uh, in the, the the Playhouse Theatre there, and in the Royal Court in London. So, yeah, he was a good guy. Wow, and and to have him as a sort of constant presence in, you know, putting you on the path to where you are now is a very profound thing, I think. Well, well, in your in your four four things that shaped you, he was number one on the list. So let's come on to the clearing then. So. Um, the clearing is a metaphor about where you go to get clutter-free, innovative, inspirational, which can be different for all of us. You know, in my world, it's like a comedy improvisational, yes, and theatre in the round type space. What, what would a clearing be like for you, Reg? The, again, we're, we're, we're with my godfather, my benefactor. He had the most beautiful, before he died, he had the most beautiful house. He rented the most beautiful house in Salisbury. It was called the North Canonry. Uh, and it's, in, it's on the edge of the cathedral close and uh, with the most amazing long, 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 long garden that goes from the house to down to the River Avon. And at the, at the, where, this, where the river, where the grass hits the river, there's also a summer house. Uh, and that is where, that's my clearing. Um, the happiest times of my, my young life were spent fishing with my father from that there was a weeping willow there and beside the weeping willow and another tree we used we used to fish and for me it was like being um christopher robin and a.a milne in the in the woods you know we, we were just well i was blissfully happy and i think my dad was blissfully happy so that's my that's my clearing for sure and i love that and by the way of of now one of the most enjoyable programs i've been watching of late and i hope you have too is paul whitehouse and bob mortimer it's gone fishing and it's just this love have you been watching it I've heard about it and I thought it was about fishing. So I didn't want to, I didn't watch it. But now I hear it's about them talking about, you know, whatever comes up and talking about things that men usually don't talk about. But I really want to have a look at it now. It is all those things. It's, it's just a rich tapestry of just two, you know, lovely, compelling human beings enjoying something, a conduit of, of where you go. It's a bit like they're in their own clearing, which for both of them has been fishing. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, back to your, that, that, thank you for your clearing. It is sounding just majestic and beautiful and simple when when did you well, last visit your willow tree and this well, house? um a couple of weeks ago I, I was sort of feeling so gloomy i was feeling like drinking again but um i went i went back to my i went back to my clearing and uh, i I, I, tell you, I don't know if you know the there's a painting by constable of across the meadows i was thinking that when first, i was thinking well, of that as you spoke about Salisbury and the, and you're going back in time, I was absolutely sorry. Tell me more. Yes, I. Well, I'm, that, I'm sorry. That all I'm saying is that is absolutely the route into to the to the river, the the river and the the you know the the North Canonry and the Cathedral Close are between 
you know, are, you you don't you can't obviously see them in that that painting, but they are that from that perspective. That's where if you if you walked from where the where the painter was standing across the meadows, you'd come to the river, so you could wade across the river, walk up the the most beautiful garden I've ever been in, the North Canonry, and get out the other side to the cathedral close, and then to the cathedral itself. And it's so it, it is the most beautiful. Constable Salisbury Cathedral, isn't it, is the painting? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for evoking that memory too. And by the way, um, resonating with you, Salisbury was one of my happiest repertory theatre experiences in a production of, of Hamlet um, with a, a brilliant actor called Colin Hurley, but that's just by the by. But anyway, um, I love the fact that you're, you managed to get back there a couple of weeks ago. So you still have access to that summer house and to that willow tree. Oh, sorry. I thought I, I meant in my mind. I ah. meant in my mind, in my mind. Sorry. No, no, I don't. No, no, no. I haven't had access to that for years and years and years. Um, and in fact, I was, I was planning my funeral with um, somebody and they said, where would you like to, you know, have a, have a, have a celebration? And I said that in my clearing, that's where I'd like it. And uh, he said, you know, we can't get there. Um, we, we, it's not pro it's not practical to imagine that we can get a crowd into, you know, get permission, blah blah blah. But we could do it in the in the cathedral close because if, if we're talking about after the body is burned and there's no body hanging around, um, we could have a party, a celebration party with permission in the cathedral close for you know 20, 30, 50 people, whatever, and that would be good. So I've been I've been thinking about that. My children say, bloody hell, that's a long way for us to drive and all the rest of it. But that's, <laughs> That's probably where. Um, By the way, I promised. I promised to show the good burgers of Salisbury this film or this podcast, so that I, I'm pretty sure this will get you in. Because honestly, that, a man who deserves to go exactly to that place as a homecoming, it sounds like you are that person. Well, I, I would. I would, certainly would be thrilled because Salis I lived. We lived in Salisbury. Um, uh, we had a house by uh, further down the river, as it were, not so grand as the North Canonry. Um, and, and I had my happiest early memories are sort of there during the war. And I'm pausing deliberately there because I'm just, I'm just drinking that lovely imagery in. So it's a privilege to be here then, Reg, in your clearing with you in the canonry near the Willow Tree, River Avon, Salisbury Cathedral, Constable. And I'm standing alongside you now with a tree where we're going to shake your tree to see which apples fall out. And so I've explained already at the beginning of the podcast what the uh, storytelling apples are. But what would you like to talk about first? Would you like to talk about the things that have inspired you or have shaped you or that grab your attention or the quirky fact? What would you like to talk about? I, I, I'd like to do it because I'm a Virgo and I'm sort of Captain Ca Captious and Pedantic. I'd like to do it in four, three, two, one, if you don't mind. I would feel comfortable doing that. So uh, we've talked a lot. You. The we've talked. We've talked about a bit about the sort of the four because I mean top of my list of the four would be my my godfather, my benefactor, uh, Sir Reginald, um, because he, he he had an absolutely massive, absolutely fundamental impact and shaping my life of taking me from what would have been state school education um, to private school education. Now I'm not saying that was entirely without uh, you know. It, it, it did have its its sort of problems uh, on both sides, um, and I, funnily enough, I did a um, I, I did a, a, a hypnotherapeutic session where um, the therapist said, uh, "I want to um, put your father in the chair 
and you tell him everything you've never told him sort of thing. And I said, oh, I adored my father. And she said, oh, he's perfect, was he? So I said, no, he wasn't perfect. She said, well, how perfect was he? So I said, I don't know, 90%. She said, can we work on the 10%? So I said, okay, we'll work on the 10%. So I'm hypnotized. I put my father in the chair and my attack on him was to say, how could you send me to a private school when my brother had gone before me and you'd seen how unhappy he was because of all the bullying and all the awful things that were going on in those days. Um, how could you send me? And then the, the, the trick was that um, I would then be put, in, I would then, after I'd done my 20 minutes of telling him everything he'd done wrong, I would be put in the chair and I would be him and she would be me and she would throw all that mud at me and it's, it's the most therapeutically wonderful thing. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so my my biggest, my single biggest influence uh, was definitely my my godfather. I'm not saying my family weren't wonderfully loving and whatever, but he was by far the biggest influence and, and a benign and a good influence. Although there were some downsides. The second thing which I mentioned was the sort of 15 guineas that I I, I uh, spent with vocational guidance to do a psychometric test because um, I, I, I was really, really unhappy and I was failing exams for the first time in my life uh, being articled to the firm of solicitors and I was absolutely hating it. And I'd got a qualified pass in finals and on the strength of that, I got a job in a very high-powered um, commercial firm and uh, I was completely out of my depth and so I was hating it even more than I was in my original firm. And I... I I took this um, test and uh, it said to me, it said, they said to me, if you had come to us at 18, we'd have told you to be, to look at journalism, try journalism. But you're now 24, you have a very high interest in money. Uh, you're never gonna make it as a lawyer. You, you, you know, we recommend you, you, you try advertising or public relations. And so that was when I tried to get into advertising, but a lot of people were trying to get into advertising. And I couldn't, um, I couldn't find a job. And at the age of 24, I went to, on a course at Watford, which was the only place I know that was doing a course in copywriting. And I was 24. I had some life experience. I had an old, old sports car, uh, and, and I had the time of my life with these sort of 18, 19 year olds. It was just a wonderful time. And I came out top of that class as I should have done, not because I was necessarily the best but because I had more experience it wasn't a fair a fair race you know what I mean but I, I absolutely loved it and then I got a job in advertising and I although my mother used to say my son's a lawyer but he works in advertising um, because that was made her feel better um, and my godfather said to me advertising is a, is a graveyard for mediocre minds which may be true um, I was I was happy as Larry, and I could indulge, I could be a, an absolute prima donna, and I loved it, and it was great. So, the, so the fifteen Guinness is the second thing that absolutely changed my life. Um, the next Just pause thing, there for a second. Sorry, what, yeah, was the, what was the psychometric test? Can you remember? Because the fifteen. Well, not exactly. Guineas. Not exactly, but it, they, they asked you literally hundreds of questions, and they keep repeating the questions, and so it's designed to you know to fool you in a way. So this must emerged. have been pre-Myers-Briggs and things like that. So I'm just this, is pre, this is pre, well, I would imagine it's pre-Myers-Briggs. We're, we're talking about, um, oh God, we're talking about uh, 1964, something like that. 
Um, and what they did was they, they, they emerged from that. They'd say, here's a profile of a successful lawyer. And then they had an acetate of my acetate and they laid it over the successful lawyer. And they said, look, you're okay here, here, and here. But look, this one, which has got to be right on the right-hand side is right on the left-hand side for you. You'll never make it as a lawyer. You, you're not, you know, you're actually not lawyer material. I love uh, that. You're psychometrics with acetate gosh that sounds amazing well it's a long time ago it's a long time ago but it, it changed my life and I'm, I'm you know wonderfully grateful to them and I'm also grateful to my parents and my godfather because he had to pay 500 guineas a year for me to be articled to this firm of solicitors I mean that's how it was it was you know articled clerks and you paid and you sat at the foot of a of a partner who was called Mr. Jason or Mr. Tony or Mr. Jeffrey. Um, and, and it was absolutely Dickensian. It was, it was barbaric. Um, but this, this investment of time and money, had been, well, I'd invest the time, they'd invest the money. But there was, no, there was no resentment. When I said, look, I've done this test. I'm not cut out to be a lawyer. I should be trying to get into advertising, apart from making remarks like it's a graveyard for mediocre minds. Um, there was no, you know, nobody, nobody tried to stop me. Everybody, everybody encouraged me. So that is definitely the, the second one of the three. The third of the four, the third, the third one of the four. I'm sorry, I'm slumping down again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull my... Pull yourself up. <laughs> yeah, you pull my socks up. Yeah, tighten my belt. Um, uh, the third of the four was, uh, is that um, I lost, I was the youngest of four children. And in my life, as I've told you, Chris, uh, I lost, my other three siblings in the most unbe unbelievably bizarre, uh, unlikely circumstances. My, my two brothers, George and Bob, um, were both killed in an air crash on a civil airliner on a scheduled flight where halfway between London and Salzburg, uh, the tail fell off. Um, my sister-in-law uh, was also killed. So three of my nieces and my niece and two nephews were orphaned in that crash. Uh, and then my sister, who was 18 years older than me, um, adopted the three orphan children. And then a few years later, she was driving on a country road in Kent with the youngest of the three children. Um, and a woman coming the other way had a heart attack and crashed into her and killed her and severely at the time injured the, uh, well, you know, it, it was, you know, tr tremendously traumatic, um, the youngest child, um, but he survived and is alive and well, and his daughter's just got married this year, which is despite, despite having to postpone it through COVID has got married. So my, my great niece has got married and uh, the, the wedding was, uh, as we couldn't go there, the wedding for lots of us, the wedding was on Zoom. So that was a new experience and that was wonderful. So the, 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 death of my, the death of my siblings is definitely something that has, has shaped me. And How my, many years apart were those tragic episodes? Um, my, my, my brothers and my sister-in-law were killed in 1971. My sister was killed in, oh God, I, 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 I honestly don't know, but within 10 years of that. Yes, sorry, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot with remembering No, dates. no, no, I'm sorry, I mean, I should know, but I don't. I, I don't. Anyway, so that was the downside. And then the fourth, the final thing, the fourth thing that shaped my life is that I have three children, Davy, Jerome and Jazz, from two marriages. Um, 
and they they have they have you know totally transformed you know shaped my life because of their because of their forgiveness of my bad behavior and losing all the the family money and drinking and gambling and you know all sorts of bad stuff they seem to have forgiven me for that um and they are they are the light of my life and they they produce the most for my 80th birthday they to my complete surprise produced the most wonderful little surprise video for me which includes my first wife my second wife my last great love um and other friends all saying nice things about me so that was just blissful so I, I can't let that slip the the last great love tell, tell us a bit more about that um well i i i discovered i haven't had a drink um i haven't had a drink this century um and all of my all of my love affairs have there haven't been many there've been four four great loves in my life uh one i was expected to marry two i did marry and one after i fighting and got divorced from the last one um i i fell in love with and we are still terrific terrific friends i mean really great friends um but no longer a couple um and um that they they got her they got my first wife my second wife uh so i i, I was really i was really honored that that all three of them were in this video and that's a testament to your quality in that you can whip out the entire canon of past relationships and they're there standing the right way up saying nice things about you so that that's 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 something you've earned as a quality well i think if you said that to them they'd said you that just chris that just shows how how little you know him you know you should <laughs> you should try living with him my god is murder you know well the barefaced fact though if they, if, if if it had gone toxic there's no way on this planet they'd have agreed to do the film so i, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice there mm. well at, at my um at my 70th birthday i had a i had a big party the only big party i've ever had and uh, the idea was that everybody who wanted to speak had 3 minutes to speak but i had as long as i liked and i'd seen um whatever is i can't think of his name the guy who wrote you know the guy the tory who wrote lots of books and made lots of money and now has uh, archer jeffrey archer jeffrey archer yes i i saw jeffrey archer do the most fabulous thing in a in a room in a pub where he he was he walked around talking to us and then he was going to talk and before he did the talk he said well now i've met you he said everything i'd planned to say is completely irrelevant and he threw appeared to throw his notes away and then did the most brilliant what appeared to be ad hoc speech but in fact was entirely what he planned to say anyway um and i planned to do the same thing so whenever everybody else has got 3 minutes i've got a whole film script which was 110 pages long and said you know i thought people were all going to you know their hearts would sink when they thought i was going to read or whatever this massive tome uh and then i threw it away and said i'm just going to do it from my heart you know but one of the jokes that i forgot was i, I um my my second wife had, had had baked a cake had done a beautiful she was a great cook and she'd done a cake for me and um i, I was going to say thank you for the making thank you for making the cake and not making a scene anyway i forgot i forgot this joke and perhaps it was a divine intervention but um so there, there we are uh yeah so th sorry you you asked me and i've i was no, no, quite right and forgive me if i uh, sidetracked you so we're, we're still chipping through beautifully your things that have shaped you and that, and where else do you want to go 
Um, well, we're done. What, what's the next one down? It's uh, inspired you. Three things that inspire you. Three things that inspire me. Um, words inspire me uh, in, en in any form, um, you know, written, spoken, sung, a speech, you know, words. I absolutely love, I love words. Um, the second thing uh, that inspires me are, are, are films, movies. Um, I absolutely love movies. Um, I mean, I love the theatre too, but I absolutely love movies. Do you have a favourite uh, film, Reg? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Fa All-time favourite. It's very hard. I mean, I sometimes think about sort of, um, you know, Desert Island films. And my Desert Island films would certainly include some like it hot because I just love all the different actors in it. Um, I, I thought Marilyn Monroe was just the most gorgeous thing in the world in that film. And I thought it was a lovely film. Um, I love the gambling films. I love, um, um, oh gosh, what was the one? Um, two, a couple of gambling films that oh, I love. Sting, all the old, do you mean, do you mean the, sting with, the Sting? With the, sting the Sting is one of them. Funny enough, it's the, I was thinking of The Hustler. Oh, I absolutely cool. love The Hustler. Uh, and the Cincinnati Kid, the Cincinnati Kid and the Sting. I uh, sorry, I would have put above above the Sting. And then the Elvis films, not the not the not the Elvis films after he came out of the army, which were dreadful, but the ones he made before he when he. I mean, one of them he had um, Hal Hal Wallace direct, um, producing. Um, you know, uh, loving you, uh, King Creole, uh, Joe House Rock. They, they, he, you know, he could have been, he could have been a great actor mm. if he'd been properly directed. And, and he is a fantastic singer. So, so movies. And, and then finally, my third, my third category would be horse racing, flat okay. horse racing. I absolutely find it inspirational. And I mean, uh, I was a hopeless gambler, but I always, always loved the spectacle and the event of, of horse racing. And um, this coming Sunday, uh, is the last big horse race of the year, really. I mean, the, there is the Cesarowicz uh, at Newmarket, but the, 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 the Arc de Triomphe in Paris is the last big horse race on the flat. Uh, I'm not talking about all weather, I'm talking about on grass. Um, and I've, I've had some wonderful, wonderful weekends in Paris for that race, um, which I will always remember. And, I, you know, this has been a very funny year because racing's been completely, um, you know, completely knocked sideways by COVID and lockdown. Um, but it's meant that when it arrived, even without crowds, there's been a massive racing to watch and it's been fabulous. It conjures so up images and we all know what it's like to try and drive around the Arc de Triomphe, but the idea of horses galloping around it, I appreciate that's not where it's actually based, but it's- It, it, happen it happens in the Bois de Boulogne okay. at Longchamp. Yeah, yeah. And it's the most beautiful race course. It's, it's really elegant. It's like Ascot or York, but unlike Ascot or York, it does not have, um, it does not have bookmakers. So, it, it, and it's incredibly elegant. It's, you know, it, people dress up to go racing and it's beautiful. And the, the, the last race that I, 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 well, I remember, I'll never forget was that um, Zoe, my wife and I had gone to Sandown for the eclipse and a, a, a jockey called Greville Starkey uh, was riding a horse called Star Appeal um, and she backed it just because it was called Star Appeal and it was written by somebody called Starkey and I said what price did you get and she said I got 16 to 1 I said I could get you 20 to 1 anywhere so I went and got a 20 to 1 and 
so we had she had 16 to 1 i had 20 to 1 on it and and uh, it won and then it um it was running in the arc and i said it's got no chance in the arc it's absolutely completely outclassed and uh, she backed it 10 francs on the tote and it paid 119 to 1 on the tote so the horses that i backed which was should have won didn't win and she had this massive cash that we so celebrated. She was, she was an instinctive gambler, and you were a terrible gambler. <laughs> well, she was, she was, she was good. And her, her mother said to me, "I have two mother-in-law stories." Her mother-in-law, this is my second mother-in-law, said to me, "Reg, my daughter had many vices until she met you, but gambling was not one of them." <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, and, excuse my ignorance of racing. If she gets one hundred and nineteen to one on the tote. Um, I don't really know what I'm talking about. What sort of pot of cash are we talking there? Uh, we're, talk we're sorry, we're, we're talking about, say, imagine it's a £10 bet and, and it's 119 to 1. She's got 100, that she's got £10 times 100. And, if it had been, it was 10 it, francs, which was not 11, 10 pounds. It would, have, it would have been 10 hundreds and 10 twenties. So that would have been, wow. a, it's, it's, a lump of, it's a lump of cash. Anyway, going back to my other mother-in-law joke or story, my first mother-in-law, before she was my mother-in-law, said to me when she was just the, the mother of the woman I wanted to marry she said to me you marry my daughter over my dead body and I had to resist saying that could be arranged <laughs> <laughs> anyway I like that you've you've bunged in two mother-in-law stories as well they're fantastic well they're true they're true yeah they are and and so um we, we're now down if if you're liking the sort of trajectory down yeah. the escalator or yeah. down the path uh, we're into um, two things that never fail to grab your attention. Uh, good ads. Good ads is the first thing. I, I, at one stage, I was president of the Creative Circle in London, and the, the way the, the, the formula that we had for judging was not, you know, anything academic. It was, I wish I'd, done, you know, I wish I'd done that ad. So it was totally instinctive. Um, so anytime I think, oh my God, I wish I'd written that, um, you know, that poster, that press ad, that TV commercial, that radio commercial, whenever I hear something like that, that I find inspirational. I just love advertising. I mean, I used to bore people by saying it's the greatest art form in the world. Um, it's certainly the most. Any favorite examples in there? Um, well, you know. If you if you go back, I mean the things like um, you know Guinness is good for you. I mean you couldn't say it now, but it's it's fantastic. You know, beans means hind is the most economical. I mean, what is his name? Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson are trying to do these three words things, and you know beans means hind is still way ahead of anything they've written. Um, currently, there seems to be a great lack of, um, to my mind, a great lack of brilliant advertising. I mean, in the 70s, um, if you watched uh, the center break at News at 10, you would see like a showreel of stunning, stunning commercials. You really would. And uh, they're, they're a bit thin on the ground now. I mean, the, the, multi, the many channels means that there are more commercials going out on more channels, but their quality has, has gone down a lot. Yeah. I, I like the... Um, I like the 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 the, the priceless campaign. Do you know the what that says? You know something 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 else is priceless. I think that was a that was a that was a clever campaign with a lot of um, you know with a, with a lot of mileage, and and that was good.
Um, so yeah, I can't think of anything else at the moment that I think is wonderful. Funnily enough, think, sorry. Well, thinking of you, there's a there's a commercial out for Vauxhall, which says and and and, and uh, and it made me think of you because it's sort of. She says, I want to ask you about this and 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 offer, and he says, and it's you know free this and do that, that whatever. It's it's quite good. And that's because of the comedy improvisational yes and yes and yes. Absolutely and. yes and yes. It made me think of that, and so. I thought, well, that's, uh, that's, uh, that would be my favourite at the moment because of you and it. Wonderful. And it is a wonderfully liberating mindset. Yes, and as we have explored twice, because you've come to my workshops twice, Reg. Thank you. Mm, mm. Um, and so what was your, what would, what's the ad you were most proud of, if I can press you? You weren't expecting me to ask you, but. Um, I, I, I did. I, well, I mean, we did a campaign for mushrooms, which was Make Room for the Mushrooms, which I was quite proud of. Um, and uh, which was TV, but um, I, I did a lot of media ads, which I absolutely loved. Um, and some of them were very, um, not very friendly. So um, we were working for the Daily Express when the Daily Express was still a broadsheet. And the Daily Mail went to what it called compact, which we thought was actually tabloid. Um, and we, they, did a, they, did an ad, they did a poster which said, compassionate consider you know lots of words positive words you know conceptual i can't think what the words were but a whole list of positive c words and uh we we took a picture of it and we put at the bottom codswallop <laughs> and we said we said who are you kidding you know everybody knows that you've just gone tabloid because you want to get become popular you're not a quality newspaper anymore we we're really vicious it was it was horrid and we did I worked on the Evening Standard before the before the Evening Standard became a free a free publication, and we had the Evening News as our rival, and we did some really really hostile um, hostile ads. I mean, there was one where you had a had a, a they had a thumbs up and a thumbs down, and the thumbs up was the Evening Standard, and it was the guy had a a shirt with cufflinks, you know what I mean? And the, it, it, the Evening News he had sort of oil under his nails, and it said, you know. Ooh. Evening standards, um, you know, up, you know, circulation up, ad revenue up, something else up, and then evening news, something down, down, down. It was very nasty stuff, but I quite enjoyed it. So it's the idea of sort of going in for the roughy tufty fight of it and subverting the competitive it. nature. The compet I, 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 I mean, the thing I liked about law was the the, the thought of advocacy. You know, yeah, that okay. you you plead a special case. You know, you you do the best you can with whatever you've got. You know, yeah. And of course, the whole raison d'etre of the successful advert, advert is to, to, to drive the message forward. And sometimes that's about subversion of other messages. Well, I mean, I was talking to somebody yesterday, funnily enough, about, about this just sounds like a rather highfalutin com complex but, co concept, but um, of generic arrogation. Now, if you haven't come across generic arrogation... Arrogation. Arrogation mm -hmm. is that you take the generic benefit of the category and you attach it to your brand so if you take lager for example the generic benefit of lager is refreshment okay so if you're heineken you take that generic benefit and you say heineken refreshes the parts that other beers cannot reach so you make a competitive advertising idea out of a generic and that becomes you know that's a very strong way of doing things there you are weaving your magic beautifully as to why you are a true expert in your field. I love that. 
which reminds me of that joke, how can you tell a good farmer he's always outstanding in his field and you sound like you're outstanding in yours. <laughs> that was I never heard that gag before, I should sure use that, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're now, uh, anything else that never fails to grab your attention? You said good advertising, what's the other thing that never fails to grab your attention? Um, oh, actually, sorry, well, it was words, wasn't it? You've, you've, you've word, done words, words, yeah, I mean, yeah. Sorry, it's because we're, we're on a, a, the open road of a conversation. I've just remembered we, we have covered that. It's words and then adverts that, that hook you. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So what about a quirky or unusual fact about you, Reg Starkey, that we couldn't know until you tell us? Well, I, I, I'm probably the only person in England that has a flat without a cooker. My kitchen does not have a cooker. I mean, I've got a, I've got a microwave okay. uh, and I've got a hob. But I don't cook. I don't cook. I, I'm very non-technical. I don't. Um, I can't change a plug. I tend to drop lights if I put a light in. If I'm changing a bulb and the things on, I tend to drop it if I think I'm going to be electrocuted. So I, I I've always, to, the question on everyone's lips is: How do you eat? Then are you always dining out? Is that what you do? Um, in, in, when I can, I dine out. Um, and there are things like you know meal deals, which are amazing. Amazing value. If you go to, I'm uh, sorry, little plug for Tesco. If you go to Tesco on their three pound meal deal, you can get six pound, over six pounds worth of goods for three pounds. So you get some fruit. Um, you can get, uh, you know, a, a, a very nice sandwich and you get a, a, a drink. And the, the, you know, the, the real price, if that's, uh, you know, the, the actual price if you bought them individually, it would be over six pounds and you get it for three quid. You're so a merciless admin, because uh, we've gone all the way through and now you're just doing a merciless plug for Tesco's. Every little helps, which is three words as well. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's a great, that's another great slogan, isn't it? It really is that's, a great slogan. I was playing with you. Yes, that's exactly why I said that. And indeed, if maybe this podcast can ultimately get sponsored by Tesco's. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should, they should sponsor it, yeah. Um, so uh, now we bring you away from your wonderful shaking of your apple tree to the clearing. So you've been giving us lots of alchemy and gold as we've gone through anyway. But when you in when you are in flow and in purpose, you know what is the alchemy and the gold that Reg Starkey likes to bring? Do you think? Uh, I don't really know. C kindness, tolerance, uh, patience, things like that. I don't know. And you, you, I've described you before as being a really deeply sensitive soul. So everything you've just said makes complete sense to me. Although you said, I don't know, you bring kindness, warmth, generosity. Anything else that's occurring in what we're riffing about? No, I, th I think this is, this is self-flattery. I mean, if, you'd, if you talk to either of my ex-wives or my ex-love, um, they would say, you, you don't know him, he's a monster. He, he can be a monster. And I can be a monster. I'm very pedantic. Um, I, I got the um, nickname Captain Captious because I'm, you know, I am very pedantic. Nice alliteration. Uh, Captain Captious was that. Captain Captious, yes. Um, but I, 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 do, I, do, I am trying to, uh, I am trying to improve myself. So you're on a road and a path of self-improvement. I know it sounds a bit pompous, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's, um, you know, and I will be on it till the day I, uh, you know, stop breathing. And the day you stop moving will be when we can use your caption of "Make room for the mushrooms." <laughs> make, room for the mu make room for the mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, and by the way, I, in all the time I've known you, I, I have to say I've never experienced or noticed your dark side. I've just been bathed in lots of generosity and warmth from you. We've all got dark sides, I get that. But, but I think what you, you wear your heart really on your, you know, you're being incredibly um, honest in what you're saying because you've, you've alluded to darker traits to do with gambling, uh, you know, surviving alcoholism, that sort of thing. So is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the dark side? Um, not, not re not really. I mean, I, 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 at worst, I was, um, you know, suicidal. I mean, had su suicidal thoughts, but never had the courage to, uh, to take them any further. And I was, I was seeing a therapist. This again is a, is a, is a good gag. It's a true, it's a true gag. It's, um, I, I've only been witty sort of, um, twice in my life. And this was one of them. Um, and, uh, the therapist said to me, Reg, what you need to realize is you, you suffer with low-grade depression. And I said, even my depression is low-grade. <laughs> and she, she, said, she said, just be grateful that it is, because if it was bad, you couldn't be able to get up. You know, so that was that. And you, and you, do, have, you do have a sense of humor to pull you out. So, and you're a survivor, obviously. I know you I am a, celebrated your 80th birthday party. And I, I, you have told us some, you know, I remember when we first met, you told me the story about the day when you realized you needed to go into recovery. We don't have to go there, but, but it was yeah, fun yeah, to yeah. remember that yeah. story. Yeah, but um, and my other, other witty, witty, witty moment, I just, because I've only got two in my life, so I want to share both of them. Um, my, I, I work, was working with an art director who um, was, involved with a lady called Lynn Middlehurst, who was a copywriter and is now married to her. And, um, but my wife knew that I thought she was really attractive. And uh, she said, and she wrote poetry. Lynn wrote the most, Lynn writes the most amazing poetry. And um, she said, so he says to me, she says, that Lynn Middlehurst, you like her poetry and her tits. I said, you're right on all three counts. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately I said it, I regretted it because I, you know, I well, didn't get thumped them. physically, but I got thumped verbally. And divorce proceedings commenced. Well, so. and eventually, yes, so that, not, there's any connection between the two and, things. And does the, does the poetess know that that's what you said about her? Oh, yes, I told her. I told her, yes, uh, yes. And, and she, she, thought it was, she thought it was quite funny. And funnily enough... Was she on your sorry? film? talking nice things. She no, she's not. I mean, funnily enough, my art director, she and my art director have reinvented themselves as people who run a thing called the Galavanta's Guide. And it's a sort of um, holiday, you know, travel, travel with, you know, no expense spares. Uh, and they've gone off to the country and they, you know, we, we have very much drifted apart, I'm sad to say. I have spoken to them during lockdown, mm -hmm. um, but that's the first time for, you know, for ages. And I did have the most bliss. I went down to stay with them, and I did have the most blissful time where we were all three of us, and we got baggage between us, you know. Um, but we had the most blissful time picking blackberries. It was just a very simple thing in the sunshine. We were picking blackberries. It was just, it was absolutely blissful. There's a lovely thread of recurring nature about you know the willow tree in Salisbury, the river, uh, mm. and now blackberry picking as well. So and yeah beautiful stuff um so i'm going to bring you to a place now where i'm going to award you with a cake for having done us the courtesy of speaking to me on the good listening to podcast so the cake at reg is where you're now going to be invited to put a cherry on the cake and the cherry can take the form open to interpretation of 
the best bit of advice that you've ever been given that you'd like to share with us. It could be advice you might give to a younger version of yourself with the beautiful gift of hindsight that we now have. And it, it's, open, it's open to interpretation. So, so it can even be what you'd like your legacy to be. So, so how would you like to interpret your opportunity, Red Starkey, to put the cherry on the cake? Well, if I was, if I was saying the answering the question, what is the best advice you've ever been given? I think one of the best bits of advice, and certainly the shortest, was never assume. I think never assume is an absolutely brilliant piece of advice. Um, if, I'm, if I was talking about blowing my own trumpet, um, the one thing that I, I've tried to do and I've tried to share with my children is the concept of right-sizing, um, of actually being able to recognize the difference between a mountain and a molehill, and not, not, seeing, not looking at a mountain and saying it's only a molehill. Or what much more often happen, uh, tends to happen is you know, encountering a molehill and treating it like a mountain. So um, right-sizing is, is, is a good thing to strive for. And um, the, the, the one phrase that I think I've invented, which I could, if I was being vain, I would put as my cherry on the cake, would be only the end of the world is the end of the world. Because I, I know people where, where every single problem they run into is treated as if it's somewhere approaching the end of the world. It's definitely a mountain, it's not a molehill. So right sizing would be, be that. And the only other thing I'd like to say is that the, the, the most the most wonderful thing that has happened to me this year has been the birth of my first grandson, maybe my last grandchild. Um, he's called Ziggy, and he was born 02-02-2020. So that's a palindrome, 02-02-2020. And he's just, at the moment, he's you know only whatever, seven, eight months old. Um, but he's just brilliant, and just he's inspirational. And, and Ziggy the palindrome is a rock star for our future in memory of David Bowie as well. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Reg, it's been an immense privilege. Just to give you the opportunity to, is there anything else you'd like to say in our experience of having given you the good listening to? Thank you. And thank you too. What an immense privilege. And I look forward to our next conversation. You have been listening to the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes, and this has been the adorable and the gorgeous Reg Starkey. Good night. You've been listening to the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. If you've enjoyed the programme, then please do subscribe on all the usual channels. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the programme too, and I'm hosted on Buzzsprout. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do. And then on Twitter and Instagram, at that Chris Grimes. Also, if you'd be interested in having some coaching from me to help you level up your confidence, your personal impact or your brand, then contact me via email, chris at secondcurve.uk. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>